The Constitution of the United States is the supreme law of the United States of America. This founding document, originally comprising seven articles, delineates the national frame of government. Its first three articles embody the doctrine of the separation of powers, whereby the federal government is divided into three branches, the legislative, consisting of the bicameral Congress, Article 1, the executive, consisting of the president and subordinate officers, Article 2, and the judicial, consisting of the Supreme Court and other federal courts, Article 3. Article 4, Article 5 and Article 6 embody concepts of federalism, describing the rights and responsibilities of state governments, the states in relationship to the federal government, and the shared process of constitutional amendment. Article 7 establishes the procedure subsequently used by the 13 states to ratify it. It is regarded as the oldest written and codified national constitution in force. Since the constitution came into force in 1789, it has been amended 27 times, including one amendment that repealed a previous one, in order to meet the needs of a nation that has profoundly changed since the 18th century. In general, the first ten amendments, known collectively as the Bill of Rights, offer specific protections of individual liberty and justice and place restrictions on the powers of government. The majority of the 17 later amendments expand individual civil rights protections. Others address issues related to federal authority or modify government processes and procedures. Amendments to the United States Constitution, unlike ones made to many constitutions worldwide, are appended to the document. All four pages of the original U.S. Constitution are written on parchment. According to the United States Senate, the Constitution's first three words, we the people, affirm that the government of the United States exists to serve its citizens. For over two centuries the Constitution has remained in force because its framers wisely separated and balanced governmental powers to safeguard the interests of majority rule and minority rights, of liberty and equality, and of the federal and state governments. The first permanent Constitution, it is interpreted, supplemented, and implemented by a large body of federal constitutional law, and has influenced the constitutions of other nations. Background. First Government. From September 5, 1774, to March 1, 1781, the Continental Congress functioned as the provisional government of the United States. Delegates to the first, 1774, and then the second, 1775-1781, Continental Congress were chosen largely through the action of committees of correspondence in various colonies rather than through the colonial governments of the 13 colonies. Articles of Confederation The Articles of Confederation and Perpetual Union was the first constitution of the United States. It was drafted by the Second Continental Congress from mid-1776 through late 1777, and ratification by all 13 states was completed by early 1781. The Articles of Confederation gave little power to the central government. The Confederation Congress could make decisions but lacked enforcement powers. Implementation of most decisions, including modifications to the Articles, required unanimous approval of all 13 state legislatures. Although, in a way, the congressional powers in Article 9 made the League of States as cohesive and strong as any similar sort of Republican confederation in history, the chief problem was, in the words of George Washington, no money. The Continental Congress could print money but it was worthless. Congress could borrow money but couldn't pay it back. No state paid all their U.S. taxes, some paid nothing. Some few paid an amount equal to interest on the national debt owed to their citizens, but no more. No interest was paid on debt owed foreign governments. By 1786, the United States would default on outstanding debts as their dates came due. Internationally, the United States had little ability to defend its sovereignty. Most of the troops in the 625-man United States Army were deployed facing, but not threatening, British forts on American soil. They had not been paid, 
some were deserting and others threatening mutiny. Spain closed New Orleans to American commerce, U.S. officials protested, but to no effect. Barbary pirates began seizing American ships of commerce, the Treasury had no funds to pay their ransom. If any military crisis required action, the Congress had no credit or taxing power to finance a response. Domestically, the Articles of Confederation was failing to bring unity to the diverse sentiments and interests of the various states. Although the Treaty of Paris, 1783, was signed between Great Britain and the U.S., and named each of the American states, various states proceeded to violate it. New York and South Carolina repeatedly prosecuted loyalists for wartime activity and redistributed their lands. Individual state legislatures independently laid embargoes, negotiated directly with foreign authorities, raised armies, and made war, all violating the letter and the spirit of the Articles. In September 1786, during an interstate convention to discuss and develop a consensus about reversing the protectionist trade barriers that each state had erected, James Madison questioned whether the Articles of Confederation was a binding compact or even a viable government. Connecticut paid nothing and positively refused to pay U.S. assessments for two years. A rumor had it that a seditious party of New York legislators had opened a conversation with the Viceroy of Canada. To the South, the British were said to be openly funding Creek Indian raids on Georgia, and the state was under martial law. Additionally, during Shays' Rebellion, August 1786, June 1787, in Massachusetts, Congress could provide no money to support an endangered constituent state. General Benjamin Lincoln was obliged to raise funds from Boston merchants to pay for a volunteer army. Congress was paralyzed. It could do nothing significant without nine states, and some legislation required all thirteen. When a state produced only one member in attendance, its vote was not counted. If a state's delegation was evenly divided, its vote could not be counted towards the nine-count requirement. The Congress of the Confederation had virtually ceased trying to govern. The vision of a respectable nation among nations seemed to be fading in the eyes of revolutionaries such as George Washington, Benjamin Franklin, and Rufus King. Their dream of a republic, a nation without hereditary rulers, with power derived from the people in frequent elections, was in doubt. On February 21, 1787, the Confederation Congress called a convention of state delegates at Philadelphia to propose a plan of government. Unlike earlier attempts, the convention was not meant for new laws or piecemeal alterations, but for the sole and express purpose of revising the Articles of Confederation. The convention was not limited to commerce, rather, it was intended to render the federal constitution adequate to the exigencies of government and the preservation of the Union. The proposal might take effect when approved by Congress and the states. History. 1787 Drafting. On the appointed day, May 14, 1787, only the Virginia and Pennsylvania delegations were present, and so the convention's opening meeting was postponed for lack of a quorum. A quorum of seven states met and deliberations began on May 25th. Eventually 12 states were represented, 74 delegates were named, 55 attended and 39 signed. The delegates were generally convinced that an effective central government with a wide range of enforceable powers must replace the weaker Congress established by the Articles of Confederation. Two plans for structuring the federal government arose at the convention's outset. The Virginia Plan, also known as the Large State Plan or the Randolph Plan, proposed that the legislative department of the national government be composed of a bicameral Congress, with both chambers elected with apportionment according to population. Generally favoring the most highly populated states, it used the philosophy of John Locke to rely on consent of the governed, Montesquieu for divided government, and Edward Coke to emphasize civil liberties. The New Jersey plan proposed that the legislative department be a unicameral body with one vote per state. 
generally favoring the less populous states, it used the philosophy of English Whigs such as Edmund Burke to rely on received procedure and William Blackstone to emphasize sovereignty of the legislature. This position reflected the belief that the states were independent entities and, as they entered the United States of America freely and individually, remained so. On May 31st, the convention devolved into a committee of the whole to consider the Virginia plan. On June 13th, the Virginia resolutions in amended form were reported out of committee. The New Jersey plan was put forward in response to the Virginia plan. A committee of 11, one delegate from each state represented, met from July 2nd to 16 to work out a compromise on the issue of representation in the federal legislature. All agreed to a Republican form of government grounded in representing the people in the states. For the legislature, two issues were to be decided, how the votes were to be allocated among the states in the Congress, and how the representatives should be elected. In its report, now known as the Connecticut Compromise, or Great Compromise, the committee proposed proportional representation for seats in the House of Representatives based on population, with the people voting for representatives, and equal representation for each state in the Senate, with each state's legislators generally choosing their respective senators, and that all money bills would originate in the House. The Great Compromise ended the stalemate between patriots and nationalists, leading to numerous other compromises in a spirit of accommodation. There were sectional interests to be balanced by the three-fifths compromise, reconciliation on presidential term, powers, and method of selection, and jurisdiction of the federal judiciary. On July 24, a committee of detail John Rutledge, South Carolina, Edmund Randolph, Virginia, Nathaniel Gorham, Massachusetts, Oliver Ellsworth, Connecticut, and James Wilson, Pennsylvania, was elected to draft a detailed constitution reflective of the resolutions passed by the convention up to that point. The convention recessed from July 26 to August 6 to await the report of this committee of detail. Overall, the report of the committee conformed to the resolutions adopted by the convention, adding some elements. A 23-article, plus preamble, constitution was presented. From August 6 to September 10, the report of the committee of detail was discussed, section by section and clause by clause. Details were attended to, and further compromises were effected. Toward the close of these discussions, on September 8, a committee of style and arrangement Alexander Hamilton, New York, William Samuel Johnson, Connecticut, Rufus King, Massachusetts, James Madison, Virginia, and Governor Morris, Pennsylvania, was appointed to distill a final draft constitution from the 23 approved articles. The final draft, presented to the convention on September 12, contains seven articles, a preamble and a closing endorsement, of which Morris was the primary author. The committee also presented a proposed letter to accompany the Constitution when delivered to Congress. The final document, engrossed by Jacob Shallis, was taken up on Monday, September 17, at the convention's final session. Several of the delegates were disappointed in the result, a makeshift series of unfortunate compromises. Some delegates left before the ceremony and three others refused to sign. Of the 39 signers, Benjamin Franklin summed up, addressing the convention, there are several parts of this Constitution which I do not at present approve, but I am not sure I shall never approve them. He would accept the Constitution, because I expect no better and because I am not sure that it is not the best. The advocates of the Constitution were anxious to obtain unanimous support of all 12 states represented in the Convention. Their accepted formula for the closing endorsement was done in Convention, by the unanimous consent of the states present. At the end of the Convention, the proposal was agreed to by 11 state delegations and the lone remaining delegate from New York, Alexander Hamilton. The text of this podcast is sourced from the Wikipedia Foundation under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The written text has been altered for voice presentation.
To view the modified and original text versions visit thelegalpages.com. The content of this podcast is presented for informational purposes only, and is not intended to be legal or professional advice. The Wikipedia Foundation is not affiliated with this podcast.